Welcome to another lockdown special of York Hospital Ball. Our guest is Gary Mills, the man who masterminded York City's return to the Football League after an eight-year absence. York City's promotion in 2012 was the second victory at Wembley in a week, having beaten Newport County in the FA Trophy final. This part details Gary's impressive playing career, where he won a European Cup, as well as his time managing York City. York Hospital Ball is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, who provide an important service for people suffering in hospital. If you enjoy these podcasts, then please help us by donating. Any donations, be it a pound or ten, will be well received. If you can, the website to contribute is justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. But without further ado, here is Gary Mills. First question, Gary, is how, how are you doing in lockdown? Probably like everybody else. To be honest, I'm quite enjoying it. You know, I've been working down Northampton for my brothers and the building firm, doing a little bit of labouring for them. I've been living away from home during the week. Coming back at weekends, it's been quite nice to spend a bit of time with the wife. York City fans, I know, will be kind of screaming at their sets at a certain point in this, uh, get on to York City. But I, I did think, you know, the fact that you've played 800 games or whatever it was, it was kind of poignant to start this interview talking a little bit about your, your playing career. And I was looking back, I saw that you played, it was England schoolboys football, England schoolboys rugby, and you could run 100 metres in 11 seconds. So I was going to say, was it your dream to play professional sport? But I guess it was probably your destiny. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always, it's always going to be football. You know, my dad was a professional footballer. So, and so I grew up in a sporting family and, you know, the chance to, to play for England schoolboys at, at football but also rugby. It was it was a funny one, the rugby one, because I went to a comprehensive school. The sports teacher was very, he was all rugby. And my dad, I was going up at Forest at the time from the age of 13, playing in the reserves at Forest at 14. And my dad didn't want me to play rugby. Uh, he didn't want me to get injured, that, that sort of thing. But I'm, I'm glad my teacher sort of won the battle and, you know, I continued to play play rugby. So, Sort of from 1977, which was a magical year for me, really. The, the year before I joined Forest as an apprentice, as it was back in them days, that I played at Wembley, well, a couple of times for England schoolboys football, but I actually scored against Scotland when we played there. And then a couple of months later, I played at Twickenham for England schoolboys at rugby and scored a try at Twickenham. So, you know, something that always sticks with me. That's a, That was a lovely time for me. And then ran in the England, got in the final of the 100 metres, unfortunately finished six in the race. I mean, that, that must be some sort of record as well, I'd imagine, you know, that age, playing for England in rugby and football. And you mentioned there about the reserves. Was that right in saying that reserve team football back then, you, you kind of played at the big grounds as well, didn't you play at Anfield when you were 14? Is that right? Yeah, like I say, a special time for me and Forrest had to get permission from the school to allow me to play in the reserves. And you used to play on Saturday afternoons, you know, at Anfield, at Old Trafford, all these grounds that, you know, the old Central League, which was a fantastic league. And because there was only one sub in football in those those days, so sort of 12 players were the first team and the rest played in the reserves. So actually my debut was at, uh, at the City ground, played right wing back in those days. And Joey Jones was playing left back for Liverpool. So that was my first opponent in 
sort of the the reserve team football but every every week you know I was on a Friday staying the the club digs and then play on the Saturday afternoon wherever that may be and you know playing against the likes of Colin Bell at Manchester City who was sort of coming to the back end of his career and these were just players that I, I was watching playing for England a few years before so it was a special time for me a time that without me realising, Cluffy and the, the gaffer as he was, was sort of making me, turning me into a, into a man rather than a boy. And, you know, at the age of 14, even that first game against Liverpool, you know, he came in at half-time and gave me the biggest rollicking you'll ever hear at 14. At 14. <laughs> and the words will always stick with me forever that he says, you might as well learn at 14, son, as 24. So you're going to start learning now. And the next time you don't pass the ball and shoot, I'll grab you by the... And you won't be doing it again. And, you know, in front of everybody and just from that moment, you know, treated me like like I was 24. And without doubt, you know, those two years from 14 to 16, playing against top professionals, top players, top grounds, he nurtured me to helping me eventually make my debut when I was 16. Kind of looking at today's football, you know, there's a lot of development football, isn't there? And, and some players can sort of be 24 and, and have not made a first team appearance for anyone. And then when they do play, it's almost like they can't adapt to the kind of physicality of men's football. Do you think that's kind of maybe a change in football for the worse? I, th- I think so. Like I say, I, I was lucky enough to, to have the best apprenticeship ever with the, you know, in my opinion, because I played for him for 10 years, the, the best manager ever. He turned me into a man at 16. Now, in, in today's football, you know, I've obviously done all my licences and even then they're saying the nurture now players and still calling them young at 22, 23 to make the debuts. And, you know, I can remember having an argument in, in these meetings saying, why have they got to wait till they're 22, 23 and they're still known as young players? I was playing at 16, which now is a, is a rarity to be honest because you know they treat them like boys they don't treat them like men and playing against men at, at the age of 14 which helped me make my debut and play in the first team at the age of 16. And, and you wouldn't have made all those 800 odd appearances either if you'd have kind of not started playing until you were 23 24 that would have been so many appearances ever you'd have missed out on and I guess that kind of saying if you're good enough you're old enough. Yeah and, and you know not only the games but I've got two European Cup medals by I was time I was 18 and then I went to play in America when I was 20 and you know the equivalent out there we got to the the soccer bowl final and playing against the likes of Carlos Alberto who I'd seen in the captain in Brazil in the World Cup you know followed him around and got his shirt at the end end of the game so at 20 we lost in the final to New York Cosmos but you know I'd got two European Cup medals and a a runners-up medal in, in in the soccer bowl and, and I was still only 21 and like I say it was the best upbringing I could have had he believed in me he gave me the chance I played against Arsenal in my debut at 16 and Arsenal were always my team kids are like back in those days it was Arsenal, Leeds or Chelsea I decided on Arsenal and, and followed those players that I, I made my debut against you know with pictures on my wall and all that sort of stuff so it was a magical time I mean winning the European Cup and, and starting in that game against Hamburg wasn't it you must have been thinking about that point sort of pinching yourself and thinking you know I've, I've achieved everything almost at 18 you know that some players were ever in a, in a kind of 20 year career I mean most people at 18 are kind of maybe just learning to drive and trying to get yeah. into a nightclub and there you, you've you got the European Cup medal there I said I was going up at 14 and even when I was going up in the half terms and training I'll be with the youth team and, and you know Cluffy would call me out to train with the first team talking about the league champions now in 1978 so that year when I was going up 
I was actually training with them. And, you know, one of the thing again with always stick in my mind because I was look, quick. I remember getting the ball and going past Larry Lloyd, who was a great player, but wasn't the quickest. And then the second time I pushed the ball past him, he just absolutely, I think I went about 10 foot in the air, uh, landed on the floor and without swearing, he, he said, you won't effing do this to me again. And I remember Gary Burtles coming over and saying, look, he's only 14, leave him, leave him alone. He was saying, no, he's never doing that to me again. So I was sort of growing up. Did you do that to him again? Probably, but you know, (laughs) we got on great and I just felt part of it. So when I joined as an apprentice at 16, I was part of the first team squad and we only had a squad of 17. You know, they'd have something like 50 players now and we we had a squad of 17 and it was incredible. I was just part of, you know, the league champions and, you know, made my debut, joined them in July, made my debut in September against Arsenal. And then on the Wednesday, we played Liverpool in the first round of the European Cup where I was sitting on the bench as one of the subs. Then we went to Anfield and I was sitting on the bench at Anfield as one of the subs and I was still only 16. So it was incredible. But because of what I'd done for two years from the age of 14, I just felt part of the squad and part of the team and like I say, a magical time for me. So it almost wasn't as intimidating as it probably looks, you know, 18 playing in a European Cup final because you've been part of that group for so long, you know, four years, like you say, at that point. So what was Brian Clough like as you were getting older? He was always the same, but different every day. Whatever you think he, he was, that's what he was. He was, a, he was a bit of everything. You'd walk down the corridor, morning gaffer, morning son, how are you doing? Next day, morning gaffer, and he'd look at you and as if to say, don't talk to me. And I've seen top players, and, and I played with the top players, your you Shilton's, your Francis, your you Burns, you, you know, these top players that sort of would go into the doorway dodging. But he was so good at what he did. Basically, he had players that nobody wanted, turned them into top players, turned Forest into a top team, and no one could beat us. beat us. And we just felt... We, you know, we could win every game. And if we went 1-0 up, then we knew we were going to win. But he never changed. He never changed. He, he got older. It's no secret that he drank. And it come back to, to haunt him in the end. You know, going into management like I have, obviously not to, to the level to manage, which I would have loved to have done. I could see why he drank. I can see why. Precious, but also everybody wanted to, to have a bit of him, you know, and socialise with him. And, and that always, unfortunately, you know, the way it ended for him was, was sad. But, you know, he's left a legacy that, for me, will never be beaten. Just moving back onto that, you're playing for Seattle. North American Soccer League. I mean, that, to me, looked quite an unusual move for you. You're in the first team, you're playing in the European Cup final. I mean, you know, play, I think you played for England in the 21s as well, didn't you? And, and then two years later, you're playing in America. I mean, that, was well, that a bit of an obscure move? or was it? Yeah, it was. It was a weird time for me because just out of the blue one day, the gaffer called me in and, and said, do you fancy going to play in America soon? And this was sort of February time. And I went, well, why would I, why would I want to do that? And he went, well, Alan Hinton, who's, who's manager and played for me, has asked if you and Peter Ward want to go and play in their season, which sort of ran from March to September. So he said, look, we haven't got long left this season. Go and play, you know, week in, week out in America. Enjoy the experience. And sort of talked me into it, really, as he'd done a lot of things, you know. People used to sign contracts with no figures on them and... You had to trust him and that that type of thing. So I decided to go. Never regretted it. It was a magical experience. We were an English style. Alan Hudson was playing for Seattle at the time. Steve Daly, Roger Davis. So it was an English-based team, mainly Seattle. Had a fantastic time. You know, travelled all over America. Obviously, away games, you had to fly. So we used to go on road trips. 
so uh, two or three games. So he was on the road for sort of 14 days. The first year we came, I came back and I think he was up to his tricks, but for some reason said I couldn't couldn't go straight back and sign for Forest and play for Forest. And it was all a bit confusing in the end. I had to go to the PFA and he said, look, they want you to go back to, to America. And I, I, I did really enjoy it. And I said, but we've got from September till March. And he went, well, I can get you out on a loan somewhere. So we can, we can sort that. So I went to, believe it or not, to Derby County and, and went there and had a lovely time there. I, I, I really enjoyed my football. They were struggling a bit in the, what is the championship now, but, it was a weird thing that happened because Cluffy and Taylor fell out. Peter Taylor came to Derby as manager. I was at Derby. We then drew Forrest in the third round of the, of the FA Cup. I thought there was no way I'd be able to play against Forrest. We asked the question and Cluffy went, yeah, he can play. So maybe he didn't rate me that much. He was allowing me to, to play against them. And, and we beat them 2-0. Forrest were in the top league at the time and we were in the championship. So we beat them 2-0. And then I just said to my girlfriend at the time, let's get married and you can come out with me to America. So I got married in March and I flew out to Seattle again. And, and unfortunately, the second game in against Vancouver Whitecaps, Dave Watson, the old centre-half from Sunderland, was playing for Vancouver. And I went for a challenge with him or he went to get the ball off me. And unfortunately, I had a, a real bad break, which sort of kept me out of, the, out of the game for a year. The second year wasn't the best of times, but it was still an experience and, and helped me. And I was still 21-22. So this has all sort of happened before really my career started. Sort of later on in your career, obviously you got a, a real big association with Leicester City. You were captain there over 200 games. Did that sort of pave the way for you going into management? Obviously being, being captain and a you know, leader there, was, it, was that where the, the seeds were sown about that? Or, or were you always kind of intending to go into management? I'd always sort of felt, you know, I wouldn't say I was this old when I sort of knew that's what I wanted to do, but it's been my life. But I always had my own way. And, you know, I was brought up with a, the master of man management and how to get the best out of players and, and how to treat players and don't complicate the game. You know, at Forest, Dan, believe it or not, believe it. We never practiced one corner. We never practiced one free kick. We never talked about the opposition. It was all about how good we were. I wanted to do that. I wanted to get the best out of everybody. There's a lot of people who don't believe in themselves, certainly in football and players don't know how to get the best out of the cells because either they don't believe in the cells or they believe the manager doesn't believe in them and players that are inherited at my teams or brought in then I always wanted to get the best out of them in a in a nice way and in a way that they believed in me and, and, and trusted each other so it was it was something that I always wanted to do and probably yeah probably at Leicester you know I had Brian Clough I'd had John Barnwell I'd had Neil Warnock I'd had David Pleat Brian Little Howard Kendall so I'd played under some incredible managers, all, all different. And I had my own ways. I'd had a believer in, in, in training methods, again, that are simple, but you have to enjoy it during the week because the Saturday wasn't the enjoyable bit. It was during the week that was enjoyable. And then you go out on the Saturday to, to earn your three points. So, yeah, Leicester was a great time for me. Over 200 games. We got to Wembley, three playoff finals. I didn't play in the third one. We lost the first two, and then I didn't play in the third one because I, I pulled my hamstring a month before. But Brian Little asked me to lead the team out, which sort of showed something to me. And I remember going to my hotel room when he told me and cried my eyes out because it just just showed what he what I meant to him and to the team. So little things like that were, were massive for me. And I just I like to treat people in a way that I like to be treated. And 
probably say percentage-wise, 90% of the players enjoyed playing for me. At the time, I'd probably say things to them that I didn't like, but always come back and say, Gaffer, you were right. You can only pick 11 players on a Saturday, so if you get 90% of them liking you, then... It's not liking you. I think liking's probably the wrong word. I think it's respecting, you know, and I had to respect them. And, and that's why I certainly, you know, when I came to York, certainly through playing 22 years of, of managing, which I'm not doing at the moment, so I'm gagging to get back. So Leicester, yeah, was a special time. Gutted to leave, leave when I did. Um, but got the opportunity early on in, in my career to to manage in my first club, Grantham Town. Looking through, you know, Grantham, Alfreds and uh, Tamworth two spells, Notts County. You know, you had quite a lot of experience before you even got to York. I mean, it, it was quite obvious when, when you did come to York about your kind of style of attacking football. Is that quite brave in the non-league? Because non-league's quite uh, direct. And have you always had those sort of beliefs of, of playing attacking football? Yeah, it's, it's the way I was brought up. You know, I left Notts County because Neil Warnock came in and he used to say to me, and he'd say the same now, all I want you to do is kick the ball over the back of their full-back's head and then squeeze. That's all I want you to do. And I, I knocked on his door and I said, I said, Gaffer, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I'm not for you. I'm, I'm not the type of player to, to just want to boot the ball 50 yards. And I want to play. I've been brought up to play. So that's what i done. I, I left Notts County to go to David Pleat, who wanted to play too much, in my opinion. He was a lover of Brian Clough because he used to talk to me about him all the time. But I think David's problem was that, you know, he, he wanted to play too much. But a, a great manager in his own right and had a great, great career. But was it brave? Oh, for me, there's only one way to play, to play football. The way that they play it now, do they overplay? Yeah, they yeah, they probably do. I had, a, I had a real good team at Tamworth, you know, a real good team. I had a real good team at Grantham, you know, we were successful. And then we were successful at, at Tamworth. I brought a f- quite a few players in that ended up going into the football, into the football league. And I can remember playing at, at Workington, which is not the best place to go at any time of the year. But we, we went there, we beat them convincingly. And I can remember all their fans applauding us off the, off the pitch. And I can remember tingling down my spine that my team had got the, the home team fans clapping us off the way we played and shaking our hands. People in non-league were always telling me you couldn't play that way. You know, you've got to, you've got to be big, you've got to be ugly. But I wasn't having any of it. And hopefully, you know, certainly the York fans saw, saw what I meant by that. And yeah, just moving it on to York, how did that move come about? Did you apply for the job or were you headhunted? I was happy at Tamworth, but I wanted to go and manage a big club. And that's no disrespect to Tamworth. We were sitting second in the conference when I left Tamworth, you know, on a budget of £200,000. But I got these players that I knew were good players that were going to end up playing in the football league. But not only good players, we had a fantastic dressing room, which is which is massive to success, you know. And again, you have to be honest, when I went into Tamworth, uh, when I went into, into York, you know, I had to make big decisions very, very quickly. And the ones that you know are not going to be right for you, you have to be honest with them. Say, look, I'll help you get another club, but you're not for me. The way I like to work, the way I want my teams to work, you're not for me. And that's how I was. And, you know, when I was at, at Tamworth, um, I got a phone call. I was actually going to be best man at one of my mates' wedding. got the phone call from, from the chairman that uh, this is Jason McGill of York City. I just wondered, would you be interested in, in the job at York? And I was literally 30 seconds from getting out of the car with me being best man. So I said, the answer is yes. I'm just going to be best man at my mate's wedding any second now. 
please call me back. And I remember buzzing right through the, my mate wedding that hopefully he was going to call me back and, and he did and we met up and they agreed a, a fee for me at, at Tamworth and then I came to, came to York. The rest is history as we say. And what was your first impressions of the club and did Jason set you any objectives of promotion or anything like that? Kind of had a bit of a playoff hangover I think it's fair to say. Lost 5-0 at Mansfield as well shortly before. What was your kind of initial impressions? Number one it was a big club you know it was a big club that obviously the years they were, they were out of the football league it was you know me with Darren G who was great with me as an assistant that I said, mate, we're going to get them out. We're, we're, we're going now to a big club. This is what we've worked hard for. And now we're going to go and show a big club and, and, and the people of York what we're about. And so I was, I was thankful for the opportunity, number one, to, to be able to come to York and to be able to manage York City Football Club. But it was about, like I spoke about a little while ago, it was about me getting not just the players, not just the, the board, but the supporters believing in the way that I like to do things and, and being disciplined around a football club. So it wasn't just the, the players I, I wanted that to happen to. It was everybody connected with, with York City. And I believe that happened. I really do. I was so pleased with the way that it sort of come together early on. One of my first uh, Luton Town came in, it was funny how it happened to be Luton, that came in for Alex Lawless and David McGurk. And I'd only been at the club two minutes and they both said, we want to go. And, you know, we'd had a couple of games and just through those couple of games, I, I had to make a decision. And I said to, to T.Y., as we call him, to David McGurk, that you're not going. But I said to Alex, they've made a decent offer for you. I'm willing to let you go. And, you know, they wanted to go because they felt Luton was a, a bigger club, certainly at the time. And, oh, I had problems with, with Davey's agent. He wants to go. He wants. And, and I remember saying to them, listen, they might be where they are at the moment, but we're, we're going to be bigger than that. You know, I remember those words. I remember saying that to them. It's amazing how we met at Wembley and, and we beat Luton at Wembley. Things like that came back to me. You know, I said it and, and I, I, said, I think I remember saying to, to T.Y. at the time, can you remember what I said to you? It was being able to bring what I believe is the right way to manage a football club to, to York. Special, special, special time for me. Did it help then quite early on that, that say, beating Rotherham in the FA Cup, which I remember being, Boven Crescent was absolutely bouncing that night and it was 3-0. And that, that, for me, from a fan's point of view, really made me believe in, in what you were doing. And did that help you convince the players? Because at the time, that was a massive win because I think they were like riding high, the league above. And to beat us in the first game, drew 0-0, brought them back to York and, and played them off the park. I think they were top at the time. You know, I remember going to watch them with Darren and they played it along the back four and then they were two or three times and then wanted to go direct into the striker. We nullified that. At, at their place and I was confident we could beat them I, certainly when we brought them back to our place I, and we played well we played well quite a few times that season but that night was, was a good night for us but what I like to do and what happened was you know like us going back to when I was at Forest I just simplified things you know I didn't make things difficult for anybody and again just going back to my cluffy times that Peter Taylor who, who was a great man I got on great with Peter Taylor and I honestly believe he believed in me more than probably what Cluffy did actually as a player but one thing that used to stick with me and, and probably still happens now that you know I was I was quick um, I used to work hard I was an honest player I used to go past players and I could cross a ball and I was right footed well you always used to get people say but yet he hasn't got a left foot we're going to have to work on his left foot Peter Taylor and Cluffy were the opposite you know they were why do you want to work on your left foot when you haven't got one 
let's work on your right foot and make it even better than it is now. So that sort of philosophy is something that I've taken taken with me. That And I used to say to the players, this is what you're good at. Why are you trying to do that? You can't do it. You know, so do do what you're good at. When you're doing it well, we'll make it even better, which is what I was told. So basically, that's what I've done straight away with players at, at York. I was like a father figure to them. I wanted to be. I used to treat them like they were my sons. And sometimes, like I say, they didn't like it. Sometimes they did. So I simplified it. It didn't make things difficult. We got the atmosphere going straight away. I told them we were going to be successful. And we were. And then just, obviously, that, that season fell just short. But one of, one of the highlights, again, was, was the Bolton away game in the FA Cup. And that, again, you know, we matched Bolton, who were in the Premier League at the time, for long periods of that game. And it was only late on when they brought on Elmander and Kevin Davis, I think, that they started to get a bit of a foothold and then scored two late goals. And I remember sort of watching the highlights on ITV later that night and it was it was just the goals. And, and you probably looked at it thinking as a neutral, like, oh, that was probably a routine win for Bolton, but it was far from it. And, and I think that, again, was a, a real good performance. Yeah, it, was a, it was a great performance, but it's a performance that didn't surprise me. We were, you know, we were, we were simple. We, we were organised. Every player knew the job. So if the ball was in the right back position, the players on the opposite side knew exactly where they should be and teams couldn't break us down we were organized if somebody made a run and was out of position someone would fill in for it so we ended up with the same system but different players in different in different positions it worked you know how could Matty Blair from a wide position score so many goals if he didn't feel that he'd got well, if he felt that he'd got to run 50 yards back to defend once once he'd made those runs. No, Jason Walker would then fill in for him if he'd made that run. And that happened so many times. We were organised. So, you know, Dan Parslow, who I sort of put to, to the right back position, Dan was, oh, what a player, what a player he was for me and what a player he was for York. But I can remember his first touch for the first goal. I think it was in our six-yard box. And I've said to him, like I've just said to you, do what you're good at. He should have volleyed the ball 50 yards into Rosette. He tried to have a first touch. His first touch wasn't great and they scored the first goal. It, it was a performance that, you know, it was a game we could have won. It's a, certainly a game we could have won. But I think we showed, you know, what we were about. We knew we weren't going to win the, the FA Cup. The nice thing would have been maybe to get a replay at the very least, certainly to go through to get some more money to help us be even stronger than we were. So, you know, you've mentioned two games there where did play well against higher opposition, but it didn't surprise me. That summer then was massively important. And you mentioned some of those players there. And I'm, I'm, I looked through last night, you know, your signings from around that period. And Ashley Chambers, Blair, like you said, Jason Walker, uh, Oya Banjo, Andrea Bukov, Chaloner, Smith, Reed, Kerr. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, that that is managers live and die by their signings. But I mean, that's a, a high percentage of, well, all of those players contributed massively. How did the recruitment process work? Were you scouting those players? Were there players that played against you? How did it all come about? Well, it, it's, see, management, again, again, I'll, I'll go back to, to my early days. You look at some players that maybe aren't getting the opportunity, but you know they can play. One of the, one of the best centre-forward performances I'd ever seen was Jason Walker playing for Barrow against me at Tamworth. And they beat us, and Jason was on the day because he wasn't the tallest as we know but he used to leap higher than anybody I knew he used to hold the ball up he was a cheating little bugger at times that he'd put his back in and get fouls when they weren't fouls which is an art in itself and that's the type of player the way I wanted to play because if we were going to play 
into our strike to, to be able to play. I needed somebody that could hold the ball up. He was the best I'd seen. He'd gone to Luton, and Luton keeps coming in one way or another, doesn't it? But And not playing, not even on the bench. So, anyway, he had a clause in his, his contract that he could come out. It cost a few bob, shall we say. I think we paid £60,000 for it. And it was at the same time, a few weeks after I'd signed Jason, believe it or not, I asked the chairman for another 50000 to sign Jamie Vardy. He said, no, you know, we've paid sixty for Jason. And I went, look, I'm not saying this is going to guarantee us anything, but we'll get some goals. And we get Jamie Vardy as well. So anyway, anyway, that was a no. You know, Matty Blair, who, who I knew, I'd seen him. I'd had him in for a trial at Tamworth. I didn't take him at the time. But I knew how honest he was. I wanted honest players. I knew he was a worker. I knew there was a player there that, you know, would give absolutely everything. And he did every game. I didn't scout these players. I knew, I knew these players. And it's amazing how many times, Dan, people would say to me, don't touch him. Don't have him. And that inspired me to take him even more. Because, you know, again, I, I, I saw this in my early days at Forest that, you know, Kenny Burns, known as a thug. He was a gambler, he was a drinker, and nobody wanted to touch him. And so Cluffy signed him, and he was a centre-forward. And the first, I'll just say this quickly, that the first training session at Forest that he was involved with, he said, there, Kenny, centre-half, go and play centre-half. And Burnsy went, I'm a centre-forward. He said, you were, son, you're now a centre-half. And that year he won player of the year and, and, and everything's a centre-half. So it's, you know, telling these players where they will be playing because that you believe that's where they should be. Getting them in because they all had something to, I don't know, like, this must sound silly, but probably baking a cake. You have to have every ingredient that's right for it to, to be the best cake sitting there in, in the bakery. We had a good set of players that gave everything to a team of the way I, want, I wanted to play. I inherited some good players. So it wasn't just about, you know, the players that I brought in. I think Martin Ford had got some good players in that sort of maybe felt a little bit sorry for themselves because they'd lost at Wembley. And obviously Rankin, who had played for you before as well, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, I've had, I've had ranks, I think, everywhere now. And if I hadn't got him, he, he rang me up to see if I could get him. I get, I'm great with him now. I still speak to him all the time now. What a lovely, lovely man. Never got the best out of himself because he was a lazy son at times. And he used to say he's got, got to work, work harder in his training to get himself fitter. Never really did. But that was ranks. And yeah, again, you know, done well for York. Well, that Bolton game, he, he was um, unbelievable, I thought. He, he had their two centre-halves absolutely all over the place. Yeah. How, yeah. how important was the team spirit in that side? And, and again, I, I sort of talk about recruitment, and you've sort of already answered this, but looking at someone like Moses Ashi Cody, who, again, almost came with a bit of baggage, which yeah. seemed a bit of a risk at the time, but was that, again, you sort of saying, well, now I'll get the best out of him? And Yeah, absolutely, absolutely that. And he, again, he played his part. He came in, he was a bit of, bit of a character. I love characters. If he tried to get above his station, which he did at times, and he, he soon got shot down with a with the set of players that we had. Everybody felt valued, and nobody said that. To me. No players ever said that to me. But I know every player felt valued, whether they was in the eleven, whether they wasn't in the eleven at York City Football Club, which which was massive. You you can't have a spirit with eleven players. You've got to have a spirit with however many you've got. The hardest job is keeping the ones that aren't in the eleven happy, but they were happy. They were very happy. We used to have, every day I can remember laughing, 
laughing and, and you know, training was good and they wanted to come in and work. And, you know, again, a lot of this goes back to my playing days. I had a couple of clubs where I was thinking, oh, we're not doing shape again, are we? You know, for two hours on a training field. I used to set up training methods with your players back then. A bit of head tennis. We used to have a bit of shooting competitions. We used to do so many different things that the players enjoyed. And then said, you know, at the end of it, for five minutes, right, remember when the ball's there, you've got to be there. We used to do it. Me and Juba used to do it with them. End of the training session on the Friday, just to give them a reminder that, you know, when the ball's there, where should you be? Should be here, Gaffer, correct. Where should you be? No, you should be another tenure. And they all knew. So in the end, you know, you're just there on the sidelines. But they were filling in for each other. They were, you know, passing the ball. I used to say to my fullbacks, and particularly Dan when he went to the fullback, you know, just give it to whoever was playing as the oldie midfielder, Scott Kerr or Andre Bucar. Right, when you get the ball, just give it him. Just give it him. Yeah, but Gaffer, just give it him. That's what I want you to do. And that's what they done. And then, you know, from then on, we used to have movement in front with, with Paddy and, and, and such like. And I used to say to the front three, I used to say to my main striker, Jason Walker, you're going to score between 20 and 25 goals. I used to say to my two wide men, Ashley and Larry, you're going to score between 15 and 20 goals. And I used to say to my mid- attacking midfield players, and you're going to score between 10 and 15 goals. Now, you add all them up, we're not going to be far away. But the only way you're going to be able to score those goals is if you make those runs and you trust that your mate's going to fill in for you if it breaks down, which obviously it did. And that's what happened. And we weren't far off. We, they scored a lot of goals. Looking through it here, you know, Braintree at home, 6-2, Kettering 7-0, Wrexham away, 3-0, who I think came second with 98 points that season. I mean, there was some some stunning performances that season. Uh, even like beating Stockport at home, 2-1, where Blinkhorn scores in like, something like the eighth minute of injury time and Grimsby away 3-2. Was there any particular game that you look back on and you think that was the one where I, I kind of knew that we were, you know, really set on for promotion? Not particularly. That, that year down at Ebbsfleet. First game of the season. Yeah, we went a goal down, controversial goal, I think, where I think Ingy had dropped it and they said it was behind the line or, or so, something like that. And then we get a penalty and then Jason Walker scores or Jason Walker scores, then we get the penalty and, and we win 2-1. And something in my mind then, I thought, we've got something here. Even we've as got, early as that? As early as that. Really, yeah. I really I really did. And we were, you know, we were a good side. And, and, you know, if everybody carried on doing the jobs that I asked them to do and they were in, they were enjoying doing it, then we got one hell of a chance of being successful. So, yeah, as early as that, I, I just, around the ground, around the training field, the atmosphere was good. And, and you know, the players played the part. But can I just say as well, because we talk about the players, but, you know, the supporters, people, the secretaries, Everybody around that season played the part because you can't do it just as players. Yes, the players are the most important thing at a football club because without the players, then, you know, you're not going to win games. You know, the the supporters, absolutely immense and always will be, no matter what club it is, the 12th 12th man and, you know, that, that part that they played. I had a little thing going on where I believed that much that we were going to go up that I used to run to the fans behind the goal and, and point to the sky to say, we're going up. 
And that was brave of me. I remember the chairman saying to me, we went went for a dinner at a hotel in, in the city once and, you know, there was something happening and I went, well, we can't make that because we're going to be at Wembley for that final and, and we're going to be in the playoff final. And I remember going back to the table where the chairman was and he went, Gary, you've got, you've got to stick to your word now. You're telling people all this. And I said, well, I said, well we don't. Too. Being with the players day in, day out, which obviously the fans aren't uh, and don't see it, we believed. We believed we could, we could, we could do it. And in the end, we we we, we done it. You know, we got to you know go into to Luton and because we, we won one nil and they had nine men in the end. I remember people moaning that we'd won one nil because they only had nine men. Oh, it's not enough. It's not enough. But we went to Luton and went at a goal down and Blairy scored that. Jamel put in one of the best crosses you'll ever see and Blairy got on the end of it again as he did that season so many times. Only York City and that team could have gone and done that. We we just believed in ourselves even when we went a goal down. When we went a goal down in the playoff final, you know, I think I remember saying tongue in cheek that they. Had me worried for, for two minutes because I knew what, what we were capable of and we produced a performance that day that was all oh, out of this world for me. And I look back to that Luton game and I, I watched um, the highlights of it recently and in my head I always thought Luton dominated that second half but whilst they dominated a fair bit of the ball they didn't really have any shots you know I don't think Michael Ingham really had a save to make there were some bodies on the line and, and stuff like that in terms of last stitch defending but you know it wasn't like a hang on for dear life or anything like that I think it was a controlled performance from York and like you say it, it was everyone knew their jobs and, and even someone like Scott Brown came on didn't he who didn't, didn't play that much for you but, but yeah. when he came on he knew what he was doing and, and knew the job he had to do and so even when things a player going down injured and having to go off you'd think another team might get flustered with that because it was Luton, you know, and they dominated a lot of games that season. You know, they were a good side. And me and Darren G used to sit and, you know, and say, right, what are we going to do against Luton? What's the best way to beat Luton? And to stop them playing. So I needed players. You know, Paddy was fantastic for me at York and I had to leave him out. I had to leave him out. I had to pull him one side, tell him that he wasn't playing at Wembley. And that was so hard for me. I wanted to, him to understand. I didn't go over the top. I didn't sit down with him for an hour. I sat with him for two minutes and said, Paddy, I'm leaving you out. I'm leaving you out because I believe it's the way we're going to be. It's nothing detrimental to you. So I had to leave him out and I played three defenders in, in midfield. And what I knew was, because I'd played Meredith in there a couple of times and I, they were absolutely relishing it. It was like, I'm going to put you back in there. I'm going to play you in the, in, the, in the final in there. And when I had to make a change, I turned around and saw Paddy sitting on the bench. And this is where, as a manager, you know, it's not about being liked. What I said to you a little while ago, it's mm. about being respected. And I could have been liked by Paddy saying, you're going on now, it's your turn. But I can remember calling down G and I saying, I think Brownie's the man. We've set up a way. So Brownie was more a little terrier, you know, someone that, no, he hadn't played that many times, but I knew he was the player that I wanted to play that certain way that day and not Paddy. Again, although it hurts me to do that, it was the right thing to do for us on that day. Again, but we were organised. You know, teams would have the ball, but did they hurt us? No. And we knew that wasn't going to hurt us. And we knew once we'd win the ball back, we could go and go and play. And boy, did we play at times. I guess if you were playing another team who were who were maybe difficult to break down and, and we, York were going to have more of a ball, then Paddy would have played, wouldn't he? Because he's someone who could maybe unlock a defence or, you know, and he got 14 goals from midfield, I think, that season. So yeah. it just depended on the opposition really for you yeah and we knew that day possibly we weren't going to have as much ball as we'd like so if we weren't going to have so much ball we needed to be disciplined and you know defensive players are more disciplined as in you 
you're not going to get past me and you're not you've had this ball for too long I'm going to I want to get it off you now rather than getting carried away that we could play as a team and putting players in like your paddy that that could play you know I used to love his left foot I used to love him seeing drift past the opposition and sticking the ball in the back of the net. But Wembley in the playoff final wasn't the time for that to happen. And I don't know, you'll have to ask Paddy the question, but he probably now, like I've said, looks at it and goes, as much as I don't like it, I think the gaffer was right on the day to do what he did. But it wasn't just about that day, Dan. And that's the most important thing for Paddy to live with for the rest of his life. That yes, you know, he played in, in the other the other one in the in the trophy. And so, you know, it, it's not a, it's not about that, but it's it's about respecting what it what it was all about and, and it was about winning. It was about winning and fortunately we won. And it and it gave obviously Paddy and, and many other players a chance to play in the football league, which I th- and I think Paddy started the first game against Wickham what was your thinking behind the recruitment that summer we because looking back it looked looks like you were pretty loyal to those players that got you up there in the first place and even the ones you brought in a lot of them had, had come from the conference as well was that because that's what you knew or were you tempted to kind of rip that side up and, and bring more football league experienced players in or what what was your thinking that summer a massive part of, of success is the dressing room now you know players have to be able to play and they could play but to have a, a team spirit you know is is massive to be able to have a dressing room where they trust me I trust them they go through a brick wall for, for each other they go through a brick wall for me I go through a brick wall for them we built that up you know I made a decision I think Dan Parslow in, in Benidorm was the first person I pulled to say you're the first one I'm telling that I'm going to give a new contract to for next year because that word trust and if you could trust anybody then you could trust Dan, Dan Parslow so I don't think he was expecting it had to make big decisions and again I go back to what I said I mean, it wasn't because I wanted to be liked it wasn't because I wanted the players oh Gaffer's given me a contract in, in the football league now, now we've gone up to be liked I believed that these players could play I believed in them I believed that there wasn't a massive difference between you know not all the team but possibly I would say 70% of the teams in the conference to the, the league two and you know we we started very well we started started really well then we got to a stage where we wasn't actually losing we was drawing too drawing too many games yeah too, too many games but look you know if we had a if we had a crystal ball not not for one moment and this might have been naive of me or whatever not for one moment did I believe we were going to go down I was still enjoying watching my team play I think we played at, at Rotherham and I think we were magnificent that night where I was uh, there yeah yeah. Jack O'Connell at the back was, was superb I thought that I mean look at what, what he's done in his career yeah fantastic and and then I think they scored in the 92nd minute or something yeah. I think was that the game before the Bradford game it was it was around but not for one minute yes we were drawing but not for one minute and I don't believe the players did I really don't I didn't feel that the atmosphere had changed from the year before in the dressing room we were disappointed at times to that again that night to draw that game out of so little things were happening yes we then play Bradford which is like a local derby if you like coming after the game disappointed I think they scored sort of late Big Jane Hansen scored I believe mm. late on and we lost the game 2-0 
And then the board came into my office and not for one minute was I expecting what I got. You know, I've been in football all my life and certainly management, that is the most disappointing time ever for me, that, that conversation that day. Part of you must think, this is part and parcel of football. I've, I've lost my job before, you know, Notts County or whatever. But being eight months after the Wembley double, that must have been really galling. And, and, and what do you do in that situation? Because you, you're probably not going to change their mind, but are you angry? Are you, are you venting that? Are you, or are you just taking it? What 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 is that? like i was shocked i was shocked at the time it must have been difficult for for them to sack me it must have been a few conversations i'd like to think it was difficult for them anyway for the board they have to make decisions i sit here now and still for me it was the wrong the wrong decision not 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 that you know people will say what it wasn't because we went on to get the playoffs with nigel worthington what they had in me is as a as a man and i can sit here proudly and say they had a man that absolutely loved his job at york absolutely had a time and 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 an experience and a, a bond with with the fans. So York City Football Club had a manager that wanted to be there. I didn't want to be anywhere else. I really didn't. It was a job that I really enjoyed and I just wanted to bring more success. When we got promoted and we'd, we'd done the, the trophy, we'd won the trophy. And by the way, having the trophy a week before the playoff final was, was a big help. I would have hated it to be the other way around. There's no doubt going to Wembley for the trophy was a massive boost of going a week later because I saw some white faces in the tunnel against Newport in the trophy that I didn't see going out for the playoff final against against Luton. used to the pitch as well and stuff like that must have helped as well sort of well, having played on it and yeah the pitch everything because Wembley's is fantastic and I've been there like you know double figures for different reasons so I've been lucky enough to do that but Wembley is all about winning it's not about the occasion and to see my players going out against Newport, I was like, that's elbowing Jibo, which I used to elbow him all the time. He used to be like black and blue on his arm when I used to elbow him. But I said, look, they're worried, worried to death. And Paddy was one, actually, you know, he had a white face. And I can remember like, Paddy's relaxed, man. It's just another, it's just another game, you know. But anyway, we went and played well and we won. But so, so the whole thing, you know, being in a hotel for a couple of days, which is different, driving down to Wembley and think you're going to be playing there. So certainly helped, Dan, you know, to, to go back against Luton. Going back to, to what we were talking about, when I was at York... You know, it, it was a it was a time that was so special, not just for the, the the success that sort of came with it, but that it was a club that I felt I could take further. It was a club that I felt that it was right for me and I was right for for that. And but I'm not stupid enough, you know, because like I say, they had to make a decision, and people would say that it was the right decision because of what happened. I can sit here now. People say, well, you don't know because you haven't got that crystal ball. But I honestly believe we wouldn't have gone down that year. And I honestly believe I would have brought more success that year. Um, so was, it, was that season about kind of for you, you know, consolidating in the football league? So get, getting your kind of feet in almost even even coming mid-table would have been a success? Or, or did you think, oh no, we, we'll have the momentum here from from getting promoted and we'll, we'll go again? Don't approach it that way. You, you approach it, you know, that you, you're going to go again and we can go and get out of this again. And we started well and, you know, you believe that. And then things started to say, hold on, okay, let's... It's our first season back in. I was learning. I was learning. Uh, and you never stop. If I could sort of wind back, would I have signed this player? Would I have signed that player? But uh, every manager will say that of every league, of every club. Is that the likes of Ben Everson, I guess? David? Yeah. If every manager at every club, every player they signed made the right decision, then, you know, they're lucky. 
So every manager would have made signings that they wish they hadn't made and made decisions that, that they you know, wish they hadn't made. But it was a, a club that, for me, I, I knew I could go on and, and make more success because I wanted to be there, Dan, which is massive. Mm. I mean, you beat Burton 3-0 on, on January the 1st. I mean, so the year itself started really well, didn't it? And I think we were thinking about mid-table at that point. It was just... The Morecambe yeah. game for me, where, where we lost 4-1 at home, where I think the ball hit a divot and Michael Ingham missed it. And that seemed to sort of start a bit of a slump. Or that, that was when, it just like yeah. you said, it was too many draws, wasn't there? So was there anything that you think, oh, I wish I'd have done, done differently? Um, no, I, I think, look, I think one of the, you know, looking at it on a bit, a bit of the way it is that my chairman used to come in before every game. And my chairman was the type of man that he didn't want to shake your hand. He wanted to give you a kiss on the cheek. And he stopped kissing me. And he stopped coming in before a game. So I knew something wasn't right. I knew something wasn't right. And I actually went into the boardroom after one game and said, can I have a word with you in my office? And he came down to my office and I went, what's the problem? And he said, there's no problem. I said, well, there is a problem because you've stopped kissing me. I actually said those words. So he went, no, there's not a problem, Gary. But there was, and he wasn't mad enough at the time. And this is the thing that gets me. I, there was no, nothing, and I thought I deserved this a little bit, Dan, that the chairman would say, Gary, things have got to change, otherwise we're going to have to make a change here. And I think I deserved that. Instead of that, I, naively or whatever, I didn't think I was going to get the sack. It never entered my head. And it was just, unfortunately, you've lost your job. And the saddest thing for me about that day was that the chairman didn't shake my hand and say, thank you for what you've done but we've had to make a change. He just walked out without saying that. And the only person, Sophie, turned to me and said, thank you for what, everything you've done, Gary. And as ruthless as it is, but it's the business we're in, Dan, I had to get a few black bags and empty my drawers and, and walk out the door that day. So I'm in, I'm in the game of football. I'm in management and it's happened to me since. So things happen. But because I had such this feeling with York, it was hard. It was hard for me to take and still is. I came back, didn't I? I came back because I wanted to come back. If I was asked to come back again, I'd come back again. It's a special club. It's right for Gary Mills, who, who I am as a person. You, you know, think if you'd held on at Rotherham, do you think you'd have still got the sack? I believe that it was waiting for the next defeat. I think this is the upsetting part of, of being a manager, which I don't like, because it's not the sort of person I am, that it was set up. He was set up before I'd even lost my job. And the same happened the second time. And I can remember saying the words to him, I hope you haven't got anybody to sit in this seat already. I would love them to have advertised the job. You know, it was all conversations were had while I was still in the job, which isn't a nice way. And again, you know, being the sort of person I am, I didn't deserve that at York. I don't think any manager deserves it any time. And I think a conversation from the chairman to me of saying, Gary, there's too many draws going on here. We need to win a couple of games. Otherwise, I might have to look at making the change. Who knows? Who knows, Dan, whether... I'm not saying that would have brought results because, I, you know, I couldn't have worked any harder than, than I was doing. To this day, I'll tell you what's nice about being, being a manager. And even the Grantham players back in 1996 to 1998 still call me gaffer. You know, certainly the players at, at York call me gaffer. And that shows a respect, you know, that you have, you have to earn. We had such a lot of trust together. It was, it was a magic time. But I come back, didn't I? I come back and I wanted to come back for, for the right reason, to make it a success again. What I will finish with for this interview is say, your first game for York City was at home to Bath City. Your last game was Bradford City. You did that in two and a half years, which I think tells its own story. I think so. It's there. The history is there. 
you can talk the talk or walk the walk and what people, whatever you want to say. It was a, a special time and no matter what, where the club are now, that will always be a special time. You, you can't take that away. But the most important thing, you know, nobody's ever bigger than York City Football Club. Nobody. The most special thing is we're getting back into the football league and we've done that. We've done that. It's sad where club are. It is sad. But there's no point in feeling sorry for yourselves. And for that era, oh, it was it was special. Special. And we'll leave it on that. So that was part one of Gary Mills. Hopefully this time next week we'll have part two ready for you as well. Hope you enjoyed that. Gary, really passionate about York City, as I'm sure you could uh, pick up from that. All that's left to say is if you're enjoying the podcast and you can possibly donate anything even if it's just a pound or ten pound really appreciate those people that did after the previous episode with Guy Mowbray if you could do that it, the uh, address is www.justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio we really appreciate it hopefully you'll join us again for part two next week <laughs>